back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping it sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm going to do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. It's time for Keeping It Sports with M3, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Good afternoon, everyone. I am a of course, Mike M. Floyd Wasanski coming to you on this Monday, the 13th day of February in 2023. Hope you're all having a great day. Hope you're all having a great start to your work week. Now, if you're watching the podcast live via Facebook or Instagram, it's a little bit of a new, different setup here in the studio, but Hey, we're going to make the best of it as we adjust on the fly here to a new look to the studios here in CSB. Of course, I've got a lot on my mind, especially coming off of Super Bowl 57 yesterday, which, let's be honest, unless you're a Kansas City Chief fan or a Philadelphia Eagle fan, you got exactly what you wanted out of last night's game. You got a hard-fought, competitive game till the very end. There wasn't a lot of defense played here, considering if you bet the over, you won that rather easy with 73 combined points scored in this game. But it was exciting all the way through, even though, At the very beginning, it looked like the Eagles could just flat out run away with things here. And an underrated play uh, from this, you could argue, was the Jalen Hurts fumble early on because they were moving the football up and down the field on Kansas City. And the Chiefs just kind of looked lost, kind of looked a little bit out of things early in uh, this game. So it was you know, a big thing to get them back into uh, this. And you really saw the legend and the legacy of Patrick Mahomes grow here because we already knew how great he was or is. But when you see how that first half is playing out, the The fact that the Eagles had the ball for 21 minutes. The fact that they're moving up and down the field. And outside of that one turnover, they're getting their offense going rather easily. And the Chiefs defense just looks gassed. Doesn't look like it has a prayer against uh, the Eagles. For everything that went wrong against uh, Kansas City in that first half. It's, it's remarkable that they were able to win this game. When you consider the Eagles had two long touchdown drives in that first half that both took up not just a large chunk of time in the game, but also were 11-plus plays in each of those drives. Then you uh, take into account that Mahomes re-aggravated his uh, ankle injury, which was a question for me all week because we hear about high ankle sprains. And even though he played through it through the rest of the game against uh, Jacksonville, played through it uh, against Cincinnati, those kind of things are not something that you just shake off. Most guys are missing you know, a month, missing six weeks uh, after a high ankle sprain. But because it's the postseason, Mahomes knew that he had to gut this one out and drag this team kicking and screaming uh, w- with him uh, uh, on his back because 
yeah, Chad Henney's a respectable backup. And I'm sure when we saw Mahomes on the bench there, a lot of us were thinking, oh, is this going to be a Chad Henney game? Are we going to be seeing him come in and play the second half? You could argue that the MVP of this game was the training staff for uh, the Chiefs to be able to get Mahomes ready, get him loose enough to play in the second half of this football game, along with the Kansas City offensive line. Because, let's face it, the Eagles' defensive line, which had put together a historic regular season, led the league in sacks by far, had the most sacks in, what, like 50 years they were nowhere to be found last night. They had no impact on this game whatsoever. Didn't even touch Mahomes outside the one tackle by TJ Edwards. He was relatively clean throughout the entire night. And you know they they took advantage in that that second half of a the fact that Travis Kelsey is unguardable. I mean, uh, the uh, a guy that's that size has been in the league for this long. is 33 years old now, and it doesn't look like the finish line is anywhere close for him. And he's still out there dominating uh, the Eagles' defense. When let's face it, I would look at this championship as more impressive than what they uh, did against the 49ers three years ago. Because A, they're playing a better team. And B, remember last offseason, they traded away arguably the best wide receiver in this sport. Certainly the fastest in Tyree Kell. They've had to reinvent this offense. Because people thought, oh, Mahomes was not going to be the same quarterback without Tyree Kell. That this offense was going to be different. And yeah, it was different. Now that they took the approach of, hey, we don't have to do the spectacular play. We don't have to just destroy them down the field on every play. Go little chunk plays here. We have a quarterback that is able to invent things on the fly, and that's what they did. It was kind of outside of his connection with Kelsey. It was more of a group effort here. Now, they they brought in a bunch of wide receivers either on one-year deals or that were on their rookie contracts and manufactured this offense into being different than it was with Tyreek Hill, but just as lethal, just as effective because you didn't know who was going to be the weapon for him on a given night. Like last night, while the, the stat sheet doesn't look overly impressive. Kadarius Toney had an, an amazing impact on the second half of this game. He, his touchdown uh, to uh, give them the lead, and then he had the 65-yard punt return that set up uh, the touchdown uh, following that. I mean, he was just remarkable for a guy that only touched the ball twice. And well, Andy Reid showed how he can just outsmart some of these young coaches because you look at back-to-back drives on both of those touchdown drives. It's the same play to score. It's just a matter of different sides of the field. First, you had all the, the fake inside and run back outside by Kadarius Tony. And then they do the exact same thing on the next drive, only on the other side with Sky Moore. And the Eagles had no answer for that. They, it, it was, I don't want to call it a humbling moment because I didn't really hear many of the Eagles talking trash, talking, uh, um, you know, boasting too much uh, this past week. It, both teams seem to come in with a, a lot of humility and grace, um, unless you are Travis Kelsey, who uh, over the last couple of weeks, whether it was after the Bengals or after this game, were giving a bunch of WWE-like promos on the field. 
but you know that it was kind of like a what the hell just happened kind of thing for Philadelphia. They seemed shell shocked. I don't know if it's you know they hadn't gone up against this explosive of an offense or it's just finally their defense could not have the dominance up front that they were having all season long. And quite frankly, you know, the back end of their defense got exposed, especially in that that second half. And on several fronts, you could argue that maybe some of the inexperience of the Philadelphia Eagles not being in this moment, not being in this spot before got them exposed. I mean, Jalen Hurts, Jalen Hurts was remarkable. He was amazing last night. There was, there was certainly the argument for him being the MVP even on the losing team with how great he played. Even, you know, making NFL history, becoming the first quarterback with multiple games of 300-plus yards passing and three rushing touchdowns. He was Mr. Do-Everything for this Eagles offense last night. The only bad moment for him was the fumble that allowed Kansas City to get back into the game early on. But part of the problem with this Eagles offense is the fact that they could not get their ground game going. After being the most dominant running team all season long, now, most of their attack was through the air. Most of uh, their offense came through the passing game and that they just were never able to get any of their three running backs going. And the only time it really felt like they were winning the battle at the line of scrimmage when it came to the ground game is when... It was either third and short or at the goal line, and they're trying to push Hertz in. Something I think might eventually get looked at by the competition committee and get uh, potentially outlawed. But to, now, other than that, they were not winning many of the battles up front. Now, they kept Hertz relatively clean, but were really not able to get the, the ground game going. Now, of course. With all of that being said, I spent most of the first no, 15, 16 minutes here talking about the actual game, talking about what happened in uh, this this game as far as you know the action between these two teams. And as great as this game was, Unfortunately, I think all of the action from this game, all of the excitement no, between Mahomes battling through a high ankle sprain and willing his team in the second half, the fact that they scored on every drive in the second half and came back from a double-digit deficit at halftime, or how great Jalen Hurts uh, played. No, some of the it's going to get lost, but it, the remarkable catch by uh, AJ Brown in, in the first half and the placement by Hertz to make sure that he was the only one that could catch a, a, the ball on that touchdown pass. All of that, unfortunately, I think in history is going to get lost, or at least in. Uh, uh, the short-term uh, history, maybe when we look back on it, eventually we'll remember all the greatness from this game. But all the talking points surrounding this game is unfortunately the late-game penalty against James Bradbury. Of course, the holding that he had on Juju Smith-Schuster coming out of the two-minute warning uh, near the end of the game as Kansas City was driving in for the final go-ahead score. Listen, by the letter of the law that is holding, although I think we can all agree, you could probably call holding on each and every single play that occurs in an NFL game. 
I mean, there was a not-so-outrageous non-call that should have been called with and Dominic and Sue getting gr- grasped around uh, the shoulder part of his jersey, affecting his chance to get to Patrick Mahomes on a scramble in the second half of that game. But that would have been what we call ticky-tack. And this right here, you could argue, uh, was ticky-tack. Now, let's face it. If it was, say, the second quarter of a game in Week 7, we're probably not talking about this. But because it was not only a playoff game, but the final two minutes of the Super Bowl, unfortunately, it's a moment that is going to stick out like a sore thumb. And as a football fan, I would have preferred it wasn't called. I would have preferred if the flag wasn't thrown there considering they had pretty much let these guys play. There was no holding penalties called up until this point in the game. So I would have liked it if been okay, excuse me, if they just said, oh, play on here. But unfortunately, it was right in front of the official. And even Bradbury, after the game, said, yeah, it was holding. I was just hoping that the referee would have let it go. If you know, if you could, if you're on the Chiefs side of things, you'd want Juju Smith-Schuster to kind of sell it a little bit more because he must have uh, not felt it was so outrageous. The fact that he didn't even flail his arms, didn't purposely trip himself up. See, that is usually what gets the referee's attention. That is what usually gets the referee to throw the flag there. But it's just the timing of it. It's when it happened, the fact that it was in the final two minutes of the Super Bowl, that's what's got so many people in uproar, so many people mad and angry uh, about this, uh, Tay. And no, as a, a fan that had no dog in the fight, I'm disappointed just because I don't want that to be the ultimate talking point of any great game. And I would have loved the opportunity, whether he had a walk-off touchdown or had a Hail Mary blocked at the goal line, would have loved the opportunity to see Jalen Hurts get the football one last time because... Once he got the the ball on that final drive with eight seconds to go, it would have taken something miraculous with them lined up at what their own 39, 40-yard line there. It would have taken something really insane for the Eagles to even have a chance. And he must have been hit on that final throw or something like that for it to just die like a lead balloon there barely across uh, Kansas City's 40-yard line. But in the end, to the victors go the spoils. Kansas City wins their second title in uh, the last four years. And I'll have more about this coming up. No, how it impacts uh, Andy Reid and Mahomes' legacy, how painful this is, of course, for Philadelphia, and you know just you know why we can never take greatness for granted. But I'll have a lot more than just the Super Bowl to talk about today. Get some thoughts on the NBA trade deadline last week. Some of the impactful moves for the teams in this area, as well as the history that was made in the NBA last week. And of course, look ahead to some things that are going to be coming up rather quickly in the NFL offseason. So, a lot to get to this week. Glad you could uh, join me. So, at this time, as I say each and every week, sit back, relax, hell, put your feet up if you feel like it, and continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back.
continues to grow here when you consider that they've done something now that only Bill Belichick and Tom Brady have been able to do in the history of this great game. Uh, they've been to three Super Bowls uh, and won two of them in their first five years together. Only Brady and Belichick have won more games than them in the first five years of a quarterback um, and head coach combination. As well as Mahomes with the history that he made this week, becoming the first player in NFL history to win uh, multiple uh, league MVPs and multiple uh, Super Bowl MVPs in his first six seasons. And when you consider the only other two people in all of professional sports or the four major sports in in this country, should we say, that have done that, win multiple league MVPs and multiple championship round MVPs in their first six years, were Tim Duncan between 97 and 03. And then you got to go back all the way to the late 60s or early 70s uh, with uh, NHL Hall of Famer Bobby Orr. Now, what we're seeing from Mahomes here, and I, I get if you're not a Chiefs fan, it can be boring watching the same guy dominate all the time. And trust me, he won't be in every Super Bowl. There will be other teams that have their moments. Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, they'll have their moments. Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts. Uh, uh, you hope for the Eagles' sake that uh, uh, they're back in this at some point. Now, the, even you know the great Tom Brady, even though it seemed like he was, was not in the Super Bowl every single year. Half the time, somebody else got their opportunity to have that moment. This shouldn't be underappreciated. This shouldn't be devalued what we're seeing. The fact that, I said before, most guys would have very easily sat out with the high ankle sprain. Hell, last night, most would have been out for the count when he re-aggravated that ankle. But Patrick Mahomes was not having it. He... um, gave his team an impassionate speech at halftime, and he was right back out there with the crew, leading them in uh, this comeback. And you you look at the fact that, yeah, it does help that he has Andy Reid, who Andy Reid's legacy, if he wasn't a Hall of Famer before, he definitely is now with everything he's done in Kansas City and what he did previously in Philadelphia. His uh, legacy uh, becomes even shinier and shinier now. And oh, the the legacy of Travis Kelsey, Travis Kelsey and Andy Reid both locked up their Hall of Fame candidacies if there were any doubt to them uh, last night. But what you saw from this team, as I mentioned earlier, and I think it's worth repeating, a lot of teams would just be stubborn, would just try to play the exact same way that they were playing, no matter who they had on the field. They realized they had to adjust. They had to change up how they ran this offense without Tyreek Hill. And while there were some bumps in the road along the way, they uh, had some regular season losses to Cincinnati and Buffalo. They showed that when it really mattered in the biggest moments, that their offense could be just as good without the most explosive wide receiver in this sport. That while different, they could be efficient, that they could just settle for boring football, should we say. You you had Patrick Mahomes taking what looked simple, what looked uneventful, 
and make adding his excitement to it, adding his flair to it with the all the shovel passes over a defender, or as he's getting tackled, being able to throw on the run. So you still had the same old flair from Patrick Mahomes, but it was different. It was a more mature way of doing it. It was a more disciplined way of doing it. They had to get more people involved rather than just locking down on one wide receiver and a great tight end the entire time. And that's why they're sitting here as champions. And now 31 other teams have got to figure out how they can be in this moment next year, how they can be in the spotlight. This game is more painful than any of the other sports, I think, when it comes to losing the championship. Because it's so year-round. At least with baseball and basketball, those guys take somewhat of a break after their regular seasons and postseason end. The NFL, you're already gearing up for volunteer workouts in like March and April. You have OTAs in, in June. It, it's a grind. And then when you have the long hot days in August, as far as training camp is concerned, having to go through a 17 season game season of a grind. And if you're so lucky to not just make the playoffs, but be that one team that gets the first round by, you don't get the job done. You got to start all over again. And you're not going to have the same, because of the salary cap, you're not going to have the same team the following year. You know, guys are going to be looking to get paid. And what helped Philadelphia have this deep a team, this deep a roster, is the fact that Jalen Hurts was not just on his rookie contract, but he was on a second-round rookie contract. But now we're coming up on the fourth year of that contract, and he doesn't have the fifth-year option. He doesn't have where, oh, you could just pick up a fifth year and you have another year or two before you get to make a decision. No, you're going to have to start paying him this offseason, and then that's going to force you to make some difficult decisions on that roster. Now, what does help them is the fact that they have two first-round picks coming up in this year's draft. So they can replace certain spots on the roster with cheaper options and possibly just as good options. But it's a painful thing. It's a a painful day if you're the the fan base and the team that lost the Super Bowl because you spend an entire year now wondering what could have been, and now you gotta you know go through the grind, the mental and physical grind for an entire year just to get back to this same point with hopefully a different ending. All right, I'm going to turn my attention away from Super Bowl 57, maybe get some more thoughts on that a little bit later once again, but going to turn our attention to some history that was made over the last couple of days in the NBA in just a minute. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Believe it or not, there were other things going on in the sports world besides just the Super Bowl this past week. And what's going to get lost in the mix of things, and thankfully it happened early in the week so we could give it its proper attention. We could give it its proper you know, respect was LeBron James finally passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on the NBA's all-time scoring list. Now, as remarkable as LeBron is, 
as great as he is. You don't take away any of his his uh, greatness. I'll talk about why I feel some of that gets lost in just a minute. You do have to realize that it was two different games when LeBron was playing compared to Kareem now playing. You do have to realize that you know back then Kareem was doing most of his work in the paint. There was no three-point shot. There was uh, no shooting no shooting from behind the arc until very late in his career when he had you know, two three-pointers uh, on his uh, resume. LeBron has thousands of three-pointers. That's why he was able to catch what we thought was a rather unbreakable record. But that should not deny or undermine what has been one of the greatest careers that we've ever seen in in all of uh, professional sports. When you you think about the fact that LeBron came straight out of high school, and that also helps uh, in breaking this record because Kareem did play uh, several years at UCLA. But coming right out of high school, and when he was in high school, some of his games in his junior and senior year were being shown on national television. He was declared the chosen one coming out in that 2003 draft class and immediately looked at as the next big thing. And he, all along the way, has lived up to it. He has backed up that, you know, high praise that he had placed upon him coming out of high school. He has backed up all of the pressure and all of the expectations that were on him. Have there been bumps in the road? Of course there have been. With how he handled leaving Cleveland the first time or losing the finals to the Dallas Mavericks and how he seemingly disappeared in most of the fourth quarters of those games. Or even, you know, some of the finals losses to Golden State. But that should not take away from anything that this guy has done. And the fact that he came out, he started in the NBA at age 18. And well, yes, he still, he takes some maintenance nights here and there in uh, the NBA of what is arguably one of the worst things that's happened to the league. When he is out there, he gives us everything he has. And he really has not dealt with the long-term debilitating injury. He's been marvelous in how he's kept himself in shape and been able to reinvent himself over time to remain, even at 38 years old, still one of the league's best players. And it doesn't look like he's near the finish line. We know the goals that he has set. He wants to play with his son, uh, Bronny. He wants to be, whether they're teammates or they're on the court as opposition, he wants to be the father-son pairing playing in the NBA. He wants to have you know, what the Griffies had in Major League Baseball at the end of Ken Griffey Sr.'s career going into Ken Griffey Jr.'s career. And now, of course, what always comes up is the GOAT debate. And quite frankly, it it almost becomes tiresome. It almost becomes disrespectful at at times. Listen, I believe that Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. But if you want to sit here and tell me you think LeBron James is the greatest of all time, hey, I got no problem with it. We can have an uh, educated, adult, uh, mature conversation here without it seeming like 
were insulting the other guy. And that, that's been the, the problem here. Whether you say Michael's the greatest of all time or LeBron's the greatest of all time, it always feels like there's a portion of every base, at, whether you're on Team LeBron or Team Michael, or whether you're someone that argues for Kareem or Wilt Chamberlain or Bill Russell, Magic, Bird, whoever it is, it always feels like with these debates, like in arguing their their point, people got to put down the other guy. And in my opinion, well, well, I think Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time and is at the head of the table. LeBron James is still at that same table. You know, Bill Russell, Kareem, Wilt, Magic, Larry, all those guys I listed, all are at the same table. So can we have this debate about greatness, but do it in a respectful way? Do it in a way where you're not just ripping someone to shreds and not acting like their career wasn't great as well, like their career um, didn't have its its own merits. And Michael and LeBron, let's face it, were kind of two different players. Where LeBron was a, as good a scorer as he is, he's a great passer, great rebounder, get, gets everybody involved. Michael was different in the fact that he had just this, not just killer instinct, but he was, he did something that, a lot of athletes don't do where he found different ways to motivate him just based on pure hatred for the opposition. He would have hated the way the sport is right now with how buddy buddy it is pre and post game between teams. But he used, we saw it in the last dance documentary. And for those of you who are old enough to remember watching him play, he would pick out one thing he, he didn't like about an opposing player or he'd make up something that he claims someone said about him and would use it as motivation to get through that night. But now you want to argue LeBron's better. Hey, I'm not going to sit here and tell you you're wrong. I'm not going to sit here and try and disrespect the man because the man has been remarkably consistent, remarkably great, and has not disappointed any of the expectations. Now, what he's got to be disappointed about is the fact that outside of the bubble season, it has not been as successful in Los Angeles as he would have hoped. They've won, what, one round of playoffs outside of the bubble season? They've not have had disappointing ends their year. Hell, last year they didn't even make the postseason, and they're in danger of doing that same thing as we sit here on February 13th with them in 13th place in the Western Conference. Although, you know, a good week can make up those two games that they're back in the standings. But their roster was very flawed coming into this year. Did not have enough shooting, had just a bunch of guards that were good distributors but couldn't shoot the basketball well, and had to have a shakeup at, at the deadline. And none of these moves that, that they made, whether it's the three-team deal that made that they made with uh, the Timberwolves and the Thunder to bring in D'Angelo Russell again and getting rid of Russell Westbrook's contract, or trading away Patrick Beverly uh, to uh, the Magic to get Mo Bamba. Not, or even uh, the trading away Thomas Bryant, who had kind of become somewhat of a fan favorite there in L.A. I don't think these are moves that are earth-shattering, going to all of a sudden make them one of the top contenders in the Western Conference. But they needed to change up the feel and the vibe of this team. Well, getting some guys that were better at shooting the basketball and getting a, a little size in there as well with Jared Vanderbilt and Mo Bamba added to this team. 
that there was just like this ugly black cloud, gray cloud, whatever you want to call it, that hung over this team. And they seemed a bit distracted, a, di a bit disoriented at times, didn't really have a sense or a true identity to who they were or what they were trying to run out there. It, it felt like you had two to three different offenses running at the same time with this Laker team. And maybe that's a problem that pops up when you have a, a, a third now former all-star in Russell Westbrook, who's going to be a hall of famer, but clearly has seen his better days pass him by. And, and now he's coming to a team where he's not the alpha dog. He's like the the third wheel uh, on the team and has to accept that role, even have to accept moving to the bench this year, which at first was, was working out. But then you started to see some butting heads with him and uh, Darvin Ham in the, the last couple of weeks. They just need to change up the entire feel to this team. And you know, you've seen them play a little bit better recently, even going into Golden State without LeBron on Saturday night to pull off the victory, though it does help the Warriors not having Steph Curry. But the, the Lakers, if they wanted to get back in the playoff contention, really needed to make some changes for this roster, even if it was changes just for the sake of change. Now, the Knicks uh, made a trade over the trade deadline week, making the trade uh, with uh, the Portland Trailblazers to get Josh Hart. And what was funny about that trade, well, yes, Josh Hart instantly helps them, even though he is about 7% down in his three-point shooting this year. You get a, a guy that will play defense, will add to that rotation, and we'll see if he can bounce back from what was a struggle as far as three-point shooting goes uh, to start this year. What I found funny is, uh, I'm sure you... You guys have seen the video that's been bouncing around social media where Jalen Brunson was happy celebrating at his jersey retirement ceremony at Villanova last week when he found out his, his college teammate was going to once again become his teammate. But as we would come to find out in that trade, they traded away another one of his teammates in Ryan Archie Diacono. <laughs> That one kind of uh, put a smile on my face, kind of gave me a little something to laugh about in a week where there really was not much to laugh about, at least when it comes to me and my basketball interests. Because, listen, I, I told you all last week I didn't think it was going to happen this year, but you knew the end was coming as far as the Kevin Durant saga with the Brooklyn Nets is concerned. You knew that there was going to be an end in sight, whether it was at this trade deadline or this coming summer. And clearly the Phoenix Suns are tired of coming up just short with all the money they spend on that roster, with the money they're spending on Booker, Aiden, Chris Paul, They've realized they have a window of opportunity in front of them. And this is them throwing everything against the wall and wanting to take that shot at it. Now, they, get, they gave up more than the, they were offering the Nets for Kevin Durant this past offseason. Cam Johnson was not part of the trade offer last off season. But now that the Nets get both Johnson and Mikel Bridges along with four unprotected first round draft picks and a pick swap in 2028 for Kevin Durant to put to, to an end what will go down as one of the biggest flops and one of the most underachieving eras in NBA history. Where you consider 
I was sitting here doing cartwheels on the Monday after he announced his intentions to sign with the Brooklyn Nets. On June 30th, 2019, I, I said to myself, all right, this doesn't guarantee anything, but it gives us the Nets a shot. It gives the Nets a heartbeat. It takes them from a rebuilding team to then a cute, fun story to then now eventually a team that's contending for championships. You knew you weren't getting KD right away because he had to miss the entire next season due to his Achilles uh, injury in the finals that year. But you knew eventually you were getting one of the top five players in the NBA, one of the greatest players in the history of this sport joining uh, the Brooklyn Nets. It seemed like week after week, month after month, there was always another piece of drama hanging over this team. Whether it be Kyrie Irving and him going AWOL after January 6th, that leading to the Harden trade, Durant getting hurt that season and missing 23 games while he was out getting into a war of words with actor Michael Rappaport, to then in the playoffs that year, the Durant dragging the Nets to a Game 7 against the Milwaukee Bucks. That series should have been over after six games. They had no right winning Game 5. It took a heroic effort from KD and James Harden playing 48 minutes on one leg for the Nets to survive that. But they were without Kyrie. As I said, Harden playing on one leg. And Durant by just the length of a toe, came within the Nets' biggest shot in the history. Uh, uh, What could have been a three-pointer to send them to the conference finals, instead force overtime, and we know how that um, resulted. To the next year with Kyrie and all of the vaccination stuff, Durant once again getting hurt in January, and while he was gone, uh, Harden forcing his way out. He comes back. They get swept uh, by the Celtics in the first round. And then from there, it was just the beginning toward the end of what has been a disaster with Durant requesting a trade, uh, Kyrie Irving and his anti-Semitism stuff. And we probably should have seen this coming when a year and a half ago or two years ago when Steve Nash had gotten hired, who was clearly over his head as Nets head coach. He gets hired, and these two are on Katie's podcast talking about how, oh, on any given night, a different one of them could be the head coach. They don't really need to be coached. When those kind of things come up, you know you're spelling doom. You know you're spelling disaster. And as a Net fan, it's sad that the last sight that I have of KD as a Brooklyn Net is him walking off the court in January uh, after injuring his right knee against the Miami Heat. All we really truly got out of him, and while when he was healthy, he gave it his all, all they really truly got out of KD was one playoff series win. You think about it. They had that big three with Harden, Durant, and Irving. Those guys played only 16 regular season games together. They've won one playoff series together. It's going to go down as one of the biggest flops in league history. And I mean, the process, and I don't want to sound like the 76ers or Brian Cashman here when it comes to the process. But you look at the route that the Nets took to get there. The, the way that they did it was the right way about going through it. See, there's stages to this, as I've said before, when it comes to building a championship team in the NBA. First, you start off at, in rebuild mode. Then you've got to build up credibility and look like a competent franchise that can win games, make it to the postseason, but is not going to do anything in particular in the postseason other than you open up the eyeballs of superstars around the league saying, you know what? 
that's a respectable team right there. They're, they're a team that if I join them, they got the pieces around me and another star that we can do some things there. And that's what the Nets were. After 2019, a lot of people were raving about that team saying that, yeah, they're not going to win a championship the way they're built. But you add the right stars to them, they can be right there in championship contention because they have a core that can back them up. The problem is they picked the wrong stars. You picked a guy, Kyrie Irving, that only plays when he wants to play and thinks that he can still get paid max dollars by only playing in 50% of the games. And a guy in Kevin Durant who was injury prone while he was here, but while, when he played, gave it his all. But is the most, the grass is green on the other side guy that you're going to find in the NBA. He wants to be the best player on whatever team he's on. He just doesn't want to be the leader of whatever team he's on. Well, hey, Kevin, you got what you wanted now with Phoenix. You don't have to be the leader there. Hell, you don't even have to be the best player there. You just have to be Kevin Durant. You just have to be healthy and make sure that the the, the four um, all-star level players that they have on that team are hitting on high gears uh, come playoff time if you want your best chance at winning your third title. But... I kind of hope that doesn't happen because as a net fan, I'm vindictive and I am extremely, extremely disappointed today. All right, going to take a final break here, come back on the other side and close things up for this week. Maybe give a few more thoughts on Super Bowl 57. Continue keeping sports with M3. I'll be back. Now, it pains me to potentially talk bad about someone that I was such a huge fan of growing up. That was one of my favorite athletes growing up. But I really don't understand the infatuation with Derek Jeter now becoming an analyst for Fox's baseball coverage. He's never really struck me as a TV personality. Especially when you watch the Derek Jeter documentary. And he openly admitted that during his playing career, he didn't watch baseball when he wasn't playing. He wasn't locked in on the West Coast games like Alex Rodriguez was. He only cared and concerned himself with the game he was part of. And went home and you know went about his life. That other than that, the only baseball he was uh, watching was film on the other pitcher preparing for a certain matchup. So like I don't get why people were all saying, "Oh, this is great! This is awesome!" Derek Jeter uh, joining Fox. You know, a Rod, you can clearly see he does the work. He fully prepares for it. I think Frank Thomas is kind of the same. David Ortiz comes across as just a character to have in there on on TV because of the whole, oh, he's Big Poppy uh, nonsense. And Jeter, he, he just, I, I didn't understand the the need for another talking head in there. I I hope I'm wrong. I hope he does great. I mean, he he is the captain, and I'm forever grateful and love what he did with the Yankees. I just did 
did not understand Fox's choice uh, with deciding to go with Al Capetan as uh, part of their uh, broadcast. Uh, it was a kind of a good last couple of days for my New York Jets when you consider the fact that they have two brand new Hall of Famers uh, amongst them with Darrell Rivas getting in on the first ballot. I mean, that was kind of a a duh kind of thing. And the only uh, corner that you could argue was on the same level as Darrell is uh, Deion Sanders. And those right there are one and two or one A, one B as far as the greatest corners in the history of this sport. But finally, what I felt what was one of the biggest injustices in Hall of Fame history was righted with uh, Jets defensive lineman Joe Klecko finally getting his moment, finally getting his, his time to enter the football, Pro Football Hall of Fame. And this guy's been waiting for, what, over 30 years to get in, and he's 69 years old, which is not insanely old. But you don't want, and you, but you look at his numbers, and his numbers are clearly Hall of Fame uh, level. I mean, you look at it. He led the league in sacks in 1981 with 20 and a half. I believe at the time that was the record. And he was first team all pro at two different positions on defensive line, nose tackle and defensive end. He was a a pro bowler at three different positions uh, on the, the defensive line and led what was one of the most feared defensive lines in NFL history, the, the New York Sack Exchange. He was you know, beyond deserving of this moment. I'm, you know, I'm surprised that it took him so long, especially with how many buddies of his he had politicking for him and how many people that actually watched him play that uh, said that, yeah, this guy was a dominant player. This guy is a Hall of Famer. But I'm glad that this happened with him alive. Like I said, not the oldest guy in the world. But you don't want this carrying on to the point where he's uh, getting uh, put in by a relative someday. You wanted him to be up there smiling, having his moment to shine. The Jets also had two of their youngsters win awards on NFL Honors Night with Sauce Gardner winning Defensive Rookie of the Year and Garrett Wilson winning Offensive Rookie of the Year. And as a fan, it's it's great to see that our team has two pillars, two building blocks to go forward with, two young stars at important positions that we can go into the future with. And you look at the Jets roster on paper, it's more than competent. It's a respectable roster. But as we all know, you're not going to go anywhere in this league until you have the quarterback position figured out. You're not going to go and reach the heights that the Kansas City Chiefs just did unless you have a quarterback. And the answer to that problem is not on the roster right now. Zach Wilson was a bust of a second overall draft pick. They should have taken Justin Fields. And Mike White, while we get all excited and do the Mike effing White chants every time he plays, he's just too injury prone. He'll have one great game and then go out there and play well but get hurt somewhere along the way. He's probably a career backup, even though, you know, skills-wise, it's there. You know, he has a good throwing arm. He has accuracy. And maybe behind a stronger offensive line, a healthy offensive line, something that was a problem for the Jets from, like, week eight on this past year, 
Maybe behind a healthy offensive line, he could do things. But the Jets can't sit around and wait. They can't think about maybes. They can't think about what ifs. They need to go and take their shot. They need to throw their chips against the wall and say, F it, we're going for it. You know, as we've seen teams do the last couple of years when it comes to some of these trades at wide receiver, like what Miami did with Tyreek Hill or what Buffalo did with Stephon Diggs or the Eagles did with A.J. Brown. Only difference is you're doing it now at the most important position in all of sports at quarterback. And there's some really good quarterbacks that are going to be available for them in the trade market. I don't even want to think about the free agent market, the likes of, you know, a Garoppolo or someone like that. No, I'm going bigger fish hunting here. Now, whether that's Aaron Rodgers, who's going to have plenty of suitors and help. We don't even know if Aaron Rodgers is going to play yet. He's somewhere trapped. That This shows you how out there this dude is. The fact that he has locked himself away for four days, reportedly in complete darkness, as he prepares to make a decision on uh, not just if he wants to play next year, but his future with the Green Bay Packers. And if they can't get him... My number two option is going and getting Derek Carr as a free agent. Because in all likelihood, the Raiders are going to have to release him on Wednesday. They're not going to let that $40 million he's due for next year become guaranteed. And very wisely, none of these teams, other than seemingly the Saints, are going to agree to trade anything for him. And if you're Derek Carr, why would you want a team that you're going to trading for. You would want them to hold on to all of their assets. You would want them to have all of their um, potential alternative ready and available to make a big splash and um, add you as the final piece so that you're in a more prepared, more competent, deck fully stacked situation And as a free agent, you can call your shot where you want to go. You can potentially get more guaranteed money than anything you had remaining uh, on the non-guarantee from the Raiders. So that's pretty much where I am when it comes to the Jets quarterback position. Swing for the fences and trade for Aaron Rodgers. And if that's uh, not able to be pulled off, Go get Derek Carr. Sign him as a a free agent. Because as as much as you want to make fun of the Jets, I mean, have you seen the disarray the Raiders organization has been in during Derek Carr's time there? He's had six different head coaches. He had one head coach fired because of emails. And he's had teammates getting arrested, uh, including first-round draft picks. And it's been the land of disarray there, and he's still managed to put up respectable numbers. Now, I'd more so prefer Rodgers, just because you have his offensive coordinator in Nathaniel Hackett here, and if you don't get Rodgers, then that hiring makes absolutely no sense. But as a fan, I'm just tired. I'm annoyed about being one of those teams that sits on the sidelines. I want to get in the big dance. I want to know that my team is doing everything possible to end the fact that they have not been in a Super Bowl in now what will be 55 years. I want to know that that moment, our moment, our chance to have that bright moment in the sun is possible to happen. And the only way you're going to do that is putting a beyond competent quarterback with this team, with this roster, a roster that has wide receivers, a roster that has a good defensive line, has good running backs, has 
young um, corners. That is all the makings, all the ingredients to give teams fits if they make the postseason next year. But they're not going to be able to do that unless they get the quarterback position settled. And listen, they're just one of 31 teams that is sitting here today wondering, how can we have our moment next year? How can we be sitting here preparing for a parade like the Kansas City Chiefs are? How can we be in the spot where we have Travis, uh, our Travis Kelsey screaming their heads off? Or a, a guy that's as intense as Chris Jones on the sidelines trying to motivate the team through the first half and pissed off and not accepting losing? And just uh, guiding us over the finish line. How can we be sitting there holding the Lombardi trophy and start to build a legacy like what Mahomes has, like what Reed, Kelsey, uh, Jones, all of those guys have? The trail, the path, the road to Super Bowl 58 for 31 other teams starts now. But unfortunately, that path is not going to be easy because Kansas City's not going anywhere. Patrick Mahomes is still only 27. Andy Reid is 64, looking like he's going on 44. And as long as they have those two guys together, they are going to be a tough out, a difficult out for anyone to deal with. And that, my friends, was Keeping It Sports with M3 for Monday, February 13th, 2023. Everyone, please have a great day. Have a great rest of your week. Have fun. Be safe. Stay healthy in whatever you may be doing. Enjoy this life, everyone. We only have one of them. And I'll talk to you guys again same time next week. Until then, peace. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you! Thank you for all the fun! Thank you! Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you, I don't want to hear you, I don't want to smell you. Now leave. I'll be back.